coffee for Seth. No milk, no sugar. Right here. Thank you. You're listening to No Milk, No Sugar, the podcast about business beneath the sweetener. Powered by Morales Group and hosted by CEO Seth Morales, we talk to local movers and shakers about what can be the harsh reality of doing business. We cover what no one likes to advertise, but everyone wants to hear. I'm Tori, producer of the show, and today Seth will be talking to personal friend and Open Systems Technologies President and CEO Meredith Bronk. On this episode of the podcast, we have Meredith Bronk. Meredith is the president and CEO of OST, also known as Open Systems Technology. They're a technology company up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. She's been with the company for 20 plus years, and she's a dynamic, innovative CEO. She's one of the, the best CEOs, in my opinion, in the state of Michigan, if not in the country. Her company has mass with over 200 employees. They're an innovative, empathetic culture, and we're just thrilled to have her join. We know Meredith through our grad school program endeavors when we were up in Notre Dame doing our MBA program. My wife and I and Meredith were all in the same cohort together. Meredith has some real nuggets of wisdom and is a bright light when it comes to leading with authenticity. Meredith is one of the more real leaders that's down to earth and calls it as she sees it. So we're excited to have her join. Welcome to the podcast, Meredith. We're really happy to have you join us. Welcome aboard. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, So I wanted to start off just with one topic that I think has been really important over these last six to seven months with just the pandemic and everything and running your business. I've been thinking a lot about employee engagement and how you keep up with employee engagement in times of COVID. And one of the things that I've been doing uh, with, with our team is we've been doing a lot of virtual town halls. And one of the major takeaways is that mental health and just emotional well-being is so important right now. Just from your standpoint, how, how, how are you dealing with that? Like what, like what, give me some like high level notes just with, from your seat, what, what are you seeing or how are you helping, you know, create better engagement? Um, yeah. At OSC. Yeah. You know, we have the great um, advantage as a technology company that when, you know, mid-March rolled around, I pretty much said, okay, everybody grab your laptops. I'll talk to you on Monday. And we're really in a privileged position where we could keep doing what we were doing. Um, a lot of folks uh, around the country didn't have that same benefit. So um, the interesting impact that they had, um, and I think I've, as I've talked to other folks who've been able to continue working remotely, is that initially it resulted in some of the most productive work that we've had in our company's history as people really were like grabbing white knuckled onto this one thing that they had where everything else felt out of control. Um, but that clutching was, isn't sustainable and wasn't sustainable. And as you know, March went into April, went into May, especially we're based in a uh, headquartered in Grand Rapids, but we also have offices in Minneapolis and with some of the stuff that happened with George Floyd as well, we just had kind of a confluence of all sorts of things that just took their toll on uh, our kind of uh, our energy level. So when we think about employee engagement today and how that has kind of ebbed and flowed, our focus really is in what we talk about two different things. One is connection. You mentioned your town halls. So what are we doing to keep people connected? 
whether it's, you know, early on, it was happy hours that kind of ran its course. Also, you know, what are we doing though, to get creative, to keep people connected? And the second thing is around safety. And that's both physical safety and emotional kind of well-being and safety. You know, the physical part's the easy part. We open back up mid-June and are allowing our team, uh, anybody who wants to come into the office to work from the office, if you want to work from home, to work from home. Most people are still choosing their primary workplace to be in their homes. So we're sanitizing and masks and all that, but the emotional side of safety is probably the hardest thing to solve to, I think, from a leadership perspective today. No two people are in the same place. You've got people with small kids. You've got folks who live alone. You've got you know introverts who feel like they were made for the pandemic and extroverts like me who are going stir crazy. In the town halls, the feedback I've gotten, it's kind of been a split decision where there's some people that need to be in the office and the others are hey, I'm good, you know, remote, trying to figure out what's that balance. And then the heaviness of you talked about just whether it was the r- racial inequities or just the pandemic, we had uh, a teammate who lost a, a mother and a grandmother in the same week. Just like, that's just, I mean, just like the toll that it takes on folks. It's it's just, it's real. And I didn't realize how much of a mind game it's been in 2020. So it sounds like you guys are in tune to that. You, you feel like, hey, we got to physically keep them safe, but also mentally, you know, work the ways to make sure they're fresh and that they have that latitude to kind of take a mental day off if they need to. Yeah. And I think recog- recognizing that truth is like one thing, but kind of in the spirit of what we're talking about, the reality is most managers don't have and aren't trained up on the emotional intelligence to do that well. And I love our team and we've got a really great team, but like, how do you have a conversation about mental health? Um, We did, we brought somebody in from the outside who kind of gave us a little session um, to all of our managers, anybody who has someone who reports to them inside of OST. We did a little kind of a Q&A and panel discussion about how do you initiate a conversation about mental health? Because we don't know how to do that, right? That's not part of your standard training, unfortunately. So although you recognize it, actually doing it well and figuring out how to do it is hard. Recognize it, but then acting on it, training your team, because nobody on your you're managed unless you've gone to school for that specific like type of mental health uh, training. You don't have that experience. How do you, you know, when when we think about that, um, Seth, from an emotional intelligence perspective, how do you, how are you able to meet people where they're at? Because you've got some folks who are like, I'm good. And so to bring them down with this heavy, are you okay? And they're like, you know, not, not maybe. I don't know. Should I, should I be, you know, right. You also don't want to cause like negativity, but you have to be able to read the nuances of meeting people where they're at easier said than done. We do these, um, Lego monthly town halls and they're virtual. And, um, for like four straight months, it was like, I was, it was just like my address to the company was very heavy. And I felt like I was bringing people down. You know, I've heard the quote, uh, the pace of the leader determines the rate of the pack and like my positivity and not, I mean, you're right. Everyone's different. And I just, I think just having all those different town halls and seeing kind of the grief from, from our team, I was trying to be uh, 
over empathetic, but maybe I over index with some certain people. So it, it is customized, it's specialized for each individual, and we are just trying to figure it out as we go forward. But it sounds like, you know, that training is something like it's a good like initial start and then having more dialogue dialogue with your leaders about it, that's that's a good way to kind of dig into it. Yeah. And the broader the group you're trying to address, Seth, right? The broader the group, the harder it is to maintain that a, a, some, a message that is going to resonate. So you want to be positive, but you don't want to be Pollyanna-ish, right? It's like you, you have to strike that balance. I'm a big Simon Sinek fan, as I think you know, in his Start With Why book. He talked about the the Martin Luther King, I Have a Dream speech. And he said in there, and this resonates with me and it's resonated with me a ton, is his speech was, I have a dream. It wasn't, I have a plan. And so as a leader, we're brought and compelled to share a vision that other people can step into right? I have a dream. And somebody's like, I have that same dream, right? That's the part that I'm trying to kind of grasp onto from my leadership perspective to give people that. They also need to know you've got a plan, especially for some people who want to know you got a plan, but it has to start with, I have a dream. And can I attach to that and give everybody something to look forward to and then try to meet them with the details that are important to them? Kind of shifting from like the engagement part and kind of the EQ side and and moving to you personally, Right now, you're juggling a lot. You have uh, a full team at home. I believe you have three daughters. You have a loving husband, and you're running a, a massive, successful business. And you're like navigating through this pandemic. And there's probably some growth opportunities just given just in the tech space and, and just kind of some of the disruption that's going on and the dependence here. So how are you, like as a leader, there's a lot going on. How are you not burned out? Like how are you how are you, how are you de- dealing with this? And then how are you kind of setting the tone for the rest of your team? What are you doing right now? You know, today is a good day. You, you know, a couple of days ago, not so good. It's like it totally ebbs and flows. And I, you know, I got to admit, I would say May, I was not in a great place. I am, I am an inspirational leader. I am a glass half full, no matter what kind of a person. And my glass was empty. And finding the energy to try to lift others up when I could barely lift myself up was hard. Choosing the people that you let see that at some level was probably part of the guardedness, the lack of separation between, you know, our our worlds was draining. I think the reality, though, is um, and I and I was telling my coach, like, all of my like healthy coping mechanisms had been disrupted. My exercise regimen was disrupted, right? Meeting with friends, all of the things that we do, all of those, all of those healthy. So some people resorted to the unhealthy. Uh, I mostly kept that at bay, although I ate a little more than I probably should have. (laughs) But I mean, let's just be honest, right? But it's hard. So I think in the middle of all that, you know, for me, it was about trying to find those rituals um, and reestablishing some rituals that that fill the tank back up. Asking other people, I have a good friend who says, as leaders, we're called to innovate. And one thing that we can do, one practice that we can do is challenge ourselves to consume something inspirational, aspirational, and instructional every week. And that resonated with me. I was like, am I consuming inspirational, aspirational, and instructional, right? Am I learning? Um, Am I getting outside of my comfort zone? And so I initiated some new habits uh, from a consumption perspective with podcasts and um, books and just creating some space where I could find it. Also then as a leader, talking about it 
with my team and with the managers inside of OSC, um, I remember one day I said, you know, my calendar opened up. It was like two o'clock on a Thursday afternoon and it was gorgeous outside. And I was like, I'm, we live on a lake. And I was like, I'm going to go sit outside and I'm just going to read. I almost felt guilty for sitting outside in the sunshine reading because I was like, should I be next to my computer? Should I be on a call? Should I be like, you know, all these other pulls. And I was like, no, this is good and healthy. But I I had that nag in the back of my mind. And I'm like, if I, as CEO, have that nag in the back of my mind, how can I give permission to my team? to be their best and to innovate. We're in technology, right? We need to innovate. So really kind of tapping in to some of those new rituals uh, and new behaviors is really, really important for me personally. Yeah. I like that. How you thought about how you could give permission to your team when you kind of self-reflected and got out of that funk in May. Was this like, hey, I'm talking to you as um, other leaders to, to pass this along? Or did you like address that openly with the entire team? How did you help give that permission to your staff to kind of think about, hey, take a break, take a half day, like you have the latitude? What did you do? So one of the things that we decided as a group, we threw in an extra holiday this year and we gave the Friday before Memorial Day weekend as a as an extra day off because we were saying to people, you need a break, you need a break, but they weren't taking it. None of us were taking it, but they weren't taking it. So we're like, okay, we're forcing you to take a day off. Everybody's taking Friday, the, the Friday before Memorial Day, take a four day weekend. Like that was like one very explicit way in which we were able to do that. That became really important. I started doing kind of like your town halls I record a video message every Friday and I send it out to the entire company. Sometimes it's talking about a cool project we're doing. Sometimes it's just talking about kind of what's going on. So sometimes it's pulling on current events. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's motivational. Uh, sometimes it's reflective. It has to be authentic to who I am, which that's kind of the leader that I am. So finding that voice in the moments where I felt like I didn't have much energy, I mustered up all I could because like you said, the leader sets the pace for the pack. It was also really important that I recognize the struggle so that people know that they're not alone, but also talk about how I'm overcoming it and how collectively I think that we can overcome it. Those kinds of messages have been really important the last six months and they've influenced how we're thinking about forward right? What have we learned through this? And how is that going to shape what we're going to do in the future? We'll take some of these new rituals forward with us because they're helping us be better. Hey, one last question on this kind of gas in the tank thought. I want to get into this kind of, you know, behind closed doors. So Meredith and May, when you were kind of salty or not doing so great, what is... What does not so great look like? Is this you like yelling on a Zoom call or is this you just like being salty with your family? Or is this you like clamming up? Like, what does that look like? <laughs> you know, it's both. It was a little bit with my family um, because they're so close to me, right? And it's safe. But at work, it was. It's a short fuse. I got a, I'm a slow burn, man. Like I'll eventually, you can set me off, but it usually takes me a while. And for me under stress, it was like, are you effing kidding me? You know, like I probably said that more in the month of May than I've said in, in other months. Or get moving. What are you waiting for? Like just that kind of urgency. And so that's partially what it looked like. It was just like, holy hell, man, we got to do. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Or you want me to do that for you too? I'm having a hard time, hard enough time with me. You need to do you because I'm doing me right now. Like also compelling people to action where I felt like, you can normally carry people with you and bring them along. I was like, I'm heavy enough, man. You got to stand up. You know, some of that too, just calling it right out. And 
most people rise to the occasion once they realize they're like, okay, I got this. She got this. All right. We're going to be okay. No, I, I love the realness there. Like just being, you know, pushing on people, not having the uh, enough patience or having, having a short fuse. I felt like I was yelling and, and screaming at people and I'd never done that. And I just, I got to March like early on, I got, I got fearful and reacted quickly. We had, we had a customer in, in Charlotte, um, pull the plug on us. And I was like, Oh, we're closing this down. We're I just like jumped to, you know, reacted. I didn't reflect. And it's something that's been, I've just been trying to grow during this time and not, not react right away and, and buy into kind of the, the hot emotion that I have at the moment, but reflect and soak on it and then come up, come up for air. You get situational too. Like I know for me, it's like a segment of our business. And part of what we do is we sell like big computer systems to, to companies and capital budgets for that have all but dried up right now. That's a huge part of our business that just went, you know, oh, it's trickling. And it's like, okay, hold on a second. And so the fear that comes in, what do we got to replace and what are we going to do? And like, we had to pivot. And there was another side of our business. that's like just the going gangbusters, right? Floodgates have opened. Consumer behavior changed overnight. Telehealth and, you know, buying stuff online, like houses and boats and like People were just literally changed on a dime, which opened up a huge side of, of, of the other side of our world. So also to regulate that, I think that was part of it. It's like I just when something gets you down and I'm like, like you, a little bit afraid. On the flip side, I'm now being dragged into a conversation with this abundance mindset. And I'm like, the dichotomy of those two things was, oh my God, exhausting. What are some thoughts that you're thinking about your team on the go forward and, and, and just maybe just some kind of high level thoughts as a CEO, like what's going to be the best balance for your team and just how are you kind of managing through this? A couple of things come to mind. One is how we work. And we have a our team, a lot of them want to work remotely and want to work from home. As a CEO with an empowered and engaged workforce, uh, I think choice is a really powerful thing for folks. At the same time, there's part of me that says selling happens better face-to-face. Collaboration is, is happens way better face-to-face. We're trying to decide where do you... Where are those kind of non-negotiables where we have to create the space and create the expectation that these things, while we're given great choice and what we've learned in our ability to work remotely, these things are expected to happen in proximity. So, so really trying to get intentional about that without being too directive, that will be an interesting dynamic. We'll change our physical workspace Right, we got a cubicles and not cubicles, but we've got a kind of an open office environment with workstations and stuff. We're totally changing that around to be more collaboration work zone kind of spaces with very small, not really closets, but almost little kind of private and uh, secure, physically secure from a from a germ perspective meant for kind of one person. So we're physically changing our workspace a little bit to accommodate that. That, that again, that'll be the easy part. It's the behavioral change that we're going to have to mold through uh, where people know that they can still do their best work and their best work happens with each other in this office and getting people around to, to kind of take in that mantle is going to be an important part for us. Most people don't want to talk about it. You know, every Google or those big tech companies are like, we're closing our offices and everybody gets to go work remote forever and ever. And it's like, you know, that's going to come back. And 
I, I'm I'm willing to say the tough stuff, that the dirty little secret that nobody wants to talk about, which is we need people face to face. We have to figure out how we're going to make that happen without negatively impacting morale or engagement. Yeah, it's it's going to be, an, I think, an artful balance trying to think through what you need to do as, as a leader and um, having some of those maybe radical candor type conversations with maybe some of those departments that would benefit more. One other thought I was just wanting to, to throw out to you was, you know, knowing what you know now, what, if anything, would you, you know, do differently as a leader um, in 2020, if you could go back? Anything pop out like, hey, you know what, like we should have done this or I could have done that? You know, the only thing I and and hindsight's 2020, of course, you know, the interesting thing for us, Seth, is our fiscal year started April 1st. So interestingly, we had had a company wide kickoff where we brought all of our employees to Grand Rapids for the day, which is something we do every year to do vision and set our goals for the year. And it's a it's a celebration. It's an awesome, awesome day. We did that on March 6th. Friday, March 6th, Friday, March 13th, everybody was working remotely. And then April 1, our new fiscal year kicked off. So when I think about the planning that we did that went into this fiscal year, I think the the if I had hindsight, I probably would have prepared earlier for the long term. I think like everybody else in April, March, April, May, we were hoping it wouldn't last that long hoping we could just kind of get through this. And it caused a little bit of a slowdown, um, at least mentally, of kind of almost a survival, as opposed to saying, you know, we need to approach this like it's going to take a long time. We need to approach this like like this is going to be the entire year of 2020. What are we going to do? I think I, like everybody else, were kind of trying to read the tea leaves. So if I could move a little quicker toward that, I probably would have. That's probably one of the one of the biggest kind of in retrospect um, also setting setting longer expectations with folks. I think one of the hard things is like we set goals. We set some really aggressive growth goals. We have fantastic momentum coming into this year. There's a ton of stuff happening in our space, a lot of investment happening in tech, and we're not meeting our goals this year. We had really aggressive growth targets. We're doing better than last year in a lot of ways, but not hitting the aggressive growth targets. So modifying early on expectations and communicating against that so people don't feel like they failed is probably also something that if I that that I've done better in the last 60 days than I did in the first 60 days. You know, it's still like, well maybe we can accomplish it. Maybe, you know, we'll see what the second half brings, you know, whatever that looks like, but really aligning expectations so that people weren't demoralized as we saw some of the results against goal and instead give us different mileposts, you know, to measure ourselves against in this year is just something that I've learned probably over the course of the last few months that I'm doing better today than I was initially. Having grace, that's something that you've just been a huge, I I remember early on when we met uh, at grad school, uh, you were just a big proponent of saying, hey, like, have grace for yourself, whether you're talking to my wife, Jackie, or you're talking to me trying to be a new leader or vulnerable you're you're like comment about just having grace whenever i hear that comment i think about you so i think that's been something that's uh has been rich that kind of a takeaway from our days in grad school speaking of grad school so meredith and i went to grad school at notre dame and um i was always uh, meredith would always have like you would make you and dan receive would have like some of the smartest comments and i was just like man i just want to be like them you're so like so intelligent. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm so dumb over here. I don't even, I can't even like come up with anything to say, but I think learning and seeing 
you as a leader, you were always one of the more dynamic people in class, and it's been cool to see you um, move into the CEO role over time. So you were at one point at OST, you were the COO, and then you moved into the CEO role, and uh, you've been in that position for several years now. But going from number two to number one um, and, and helping kind of walk me through that, I just recently went from number two to number one. Any, any advice to a, a listener who might be an executive that hasn't yet taken that step uh, to kind of the top seat? Like if you're, you're going from two to one, what's the difference or any, anything just like the, the path or when you're in the seat, anything you would share just like being in the, in the, the driver's seat? Oh, you mean all the glamour that comes with it? You know? Oh my gosh. Here's the first, I, I, I liken it a little bit to like when you become a, parent or, or something that people can tell you what it's like to be a parent, but until you're a parent, you can't really know it. Um, I think there's a part of that. At least that's how I felt. I had been with the business for 17 years, had grown up in the business when I converted from COO to CEO. And I thought it's just a letter, right? Like I got a letter change and I got this. Nobody knew the business better than me. Nobody had better trust than me. All of that was true. And yet on April 1st, when I took over, I woke up at three o'clock in the morning thinking, holy hell, what did I get myself into? And April 2nd and April 3rd and April 4th. I mean, like for real, right? All of these families depend on us to make good decisions. And the weight of that cannot be underestimated. It's why you need to give yourself some grace, which is why I use that, especially I'm way better at giving it to others than giving it to myself. But the thing that I think about that was most surprising in that move, and and I know you and I have spent some time talking about it, is, and this is true when you have different cir- circumstances changes, not just, you know, I, I found it especially moving from COO to CEO, but any kind of a role change or something like that, or, a, or the loss of a leader or somebody else who's got big shoes to fill, figuring out and being solid in your own leadership style and holding on and leveraging that in the middle of change is hard. And I did it. I, I messed up, I would say. I mean, I, I did kind of, I did a pretty shitty job, if I'm going to be totally honest, those first few months. And here's why. Because Dan Beam, who was an amazing founder, CEO, and my mentor and leader for 17 years, is not the same leadership leader as me. He is gregarious. He is outgoing. He comes up with all the crazy ideas. I was COO. I was like, you got that idea? I can make that happen. And I'm trusted and I'm consistent and I'm dependable and I'm authentic and I have this demeanor. Well, I became CEO and I was like, Dan was fun. Do I need to be fun? How am I going to be fun? I I have to go. I have to come up with all the crazy ideas now. And it was like, and so for a couple months, I was like, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know who I was. And everybody was just looking at me like her head is like, what is she doing? She's running around like her head's chopped off. And I had this incident. It was totally true, right? I had this incident and it was like, it was Labor Day. So it was all, I was almost six months into this role. And I was talking to a friend who's also on our board. And I had a tough decision to make about terminating somebody, a guy who was cancer to our company, but he was a producer but he was cancerous. And I said to her, I said to Liz, I need to let him go. And she's like, okay, do you think it's the right thing for the business? And I said, I do, but Dan won't. So Dan Beam was our founding CEO. He was still on our board. And she said to me in that moment, it's not his business anymore. It's yours. And I, and I was like, oh my gosh, she's right. 
like, holy hell, if I'm going to be successful, I'm going to do it my way. I might not be successful, but if I'm going to, if I have any chance of being successful, I got to lead my way. I need to stop all this nonsense. So I came back to my executive team after the Labor Day break and I brought them all in a room and I was like, I'm sorry. I don't know what the hell I've been doing the last six months, but I'm going to lead my way. I'm back. Here I am. I'm ready to go. And here's what I need from you. Here's the shoes I was trying to fill. Here's how we have to figure out how to do this as a team, as opposed to me trying to take it all on myself. Getting through that realization took me longer than maybe longer than most people. Um, But that transition was hard and I didn't give it any space to be hard. That takes some time trying to figure out, you know, when you've been in the company for so long and your skill set was to execute and operate, and then you have to you know, shift gears and be a little bit more visionary. And while you're not, Dan, you still like, there's still aspects of that, that like it weighs on you in the back of your head, very similar paths as what I've gone through with my father. My dad is much more outgoing and gregarious. And he's just this big, like Mexican teddy bear that loves to hug everyone. And I'm not that, you know, trying to compare yourself to that. And what would, you know, Tom do in this situation? That weighs on you. So I think you have really good self-awareness, which I think is a great skill set as a leader, like being able to kind of understand your strengths and figure out how you play. And then be able to take a step back as a leader and say, all right, this is like, I'm forcing this. This is not me. I need to be my own person. Maybe sometimes it takes like that individual that said, hey, this is your business, like run it. I mean, this goes, this applies for like a new manager coming in to take take an old manager or somebody getting promoted. I mean, this is at all levels. And that's key. Like making that move on that that uh that producer that was toxic, um, that sets that sets a lot of the the tone for how you want to roll. It's like, hey, this is a different style of offense. We're not gonna put up with prima donnas, even if even if they are, you know, talented and they produce on the field. Let's it's it's gonna be a cancer in the locker room. Let's get them out. So I love that. That that just like gave me some like good insights as to, you know, this is something I've been struggling with this year. I'm thinking about just as a leader and you're going through COVID and you have financial constraints and like, do you terminate people or do you, you know, just in putting that lens on, if I was my father, my dad has a huge heart, probably, you know, just maybe different approaches. And so, um, but you got to think of it at the end of the day as, as if it's kind of, your show to run or your team to, to field. I like that. That's a great reminder. I appreciate that. That's like, I'm, I'm learning as I'm going through this podcast is talking to you. So, you know, we're coming to, to, to kind of wrap this thing up. The best way for, for our audience to get a hold of you, Meredith, would be, is that LinkedIn um, hit you up on Facebook? Like what's, what's the best way to get a hold of you and, and what you do? Yeah. So um, LinkedIn is best for me, Meredith Bronk. The name of our company is uh, Open Systems Technologies. We go by OST and our website is ostusa.com. So you want to check out some of the cool stuff that we do and the way in which we do it. You can check that out there, but LinkedIn's probably best for me. Well, thank you for, for making time. Awesome. This is so fun. You guys run an incredible business, Seth. And I'll just I'll just say real quick here. I think one of the things that has always impressed me uh, about the Morales Group is the purpose behind what you do and how you choose to do it. And uh, it's inspirational for me as a leader who's had a chance to be close to your business. So thanks so much for sharing the platform here. Yeah, thanks for the love and uh, thanks for the uh, nuggets of, of wisdom that you shared with us today. Take care, Meredith. Take care. See you. Wow, that was great talking to Meredith. You know, here's what stood out to me in some of her 
her takeaways. One idea of the necessity of practice in planning our emotional intelligence response to crises. is, you know, I think a lot of us are in a crisis situation often and not having that endurance built up or that planning or practice in place is really important. I felt it when we went through COVID, I wasn't prepared, but having that opportunity, I think is really important to practice and plan ahead of how you emotionally respond and in an intelligent way. I loved Meredith's part on authentic leadership. Leaders need to be willing to be vulnerable so that other people can trust you. That is basic one-on-one leadership. And there's a lot of leaders out there today that just don't get that or can't cross the bridge with their teams because they're not authentic. They're not vulnerable. The other takeaway that I love from Meredith was how it's been very hard during COVID and this season of innovation, but we need to give ourselves the space to allow things to be difficult instead of keeping our operations the same. It's a wonderful time to challenge the status quo. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of No Milk, No Sugar, the podcast about business beneath the sweetener. We hope you learned something and we'd love to hear from you. Tag us with hashtag no milk, no sugar, or email us at no milk, no sugar pod at gmail.com or connect with Seth on LinkedIn. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and we'll see you next time.